The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. This podcast was recorded on the ancestral lands on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. This is Humans on Rights, a podcast advocating for the education of human rights. Here's your host, Stuart Murray. Censorship. Censorship in schools and the effects on our children. Censorship in schools is a complicated situation because there are many variables involved that can impact the way children learn and the way schools serve to educate. Censorship in schools usually exists in the form of the removal or manipulation of materials or learning processes. These materials might range from that which officials and parents have generally decided is inappropriate for our children, such as nudity, to teaching subjects that find objectionable or some find objectionable, such as the evolution versus creationism. Our censorship often comes in the form of concerned parents who do not want their children exposed to a worldwide view other than their own. A particularly popular topic in schools today is book censorship. Now, learning about Darwin might be construed as offensive because of the possible conflict with the religious beliefs of the parents. Sexual education is watered down until it is practically worthless because parents might be offended at sexual references in school. And classic books like The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn are being banned in some areas because they have racial references that might offend some. While the attempt to keep children pure for as long as possible is admirable, it takes the form of leaving gaping holes in their education, if not academically, then about life. Big topic, and I am delighted to have a conversation today with Ellen Bees. Ellen is a middle school teacher who teaches English language, arts, and social studies. And she has a blog, a book blog, which is very interesting, called teacherbees.ca, where she reviews books and posts lessons for other educators. And she is, and that is why I've asked her to come on this podcast, she is a member of the People for Public Education. And so, Ellen Bees, welcome to Humans on Rights. Hi, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about People for Public Education. What is that organization and why does it exist, please? So People for Public um, Education is a public advocacy group in Manitoba, and it's um, seeking to protect public education in Manitoba because we're um, increasingly concerned with underfunding that's been happening within our system in for public schools. And we're concerned about the creeping um, influences of privatization that have we're noticing in our school systems. And we're also um, wanting to make sure that um, public schools are places that are inclusive and safe for all learners and making sure that we can not only protect public education, but also try to make sure that we can make it better for everyone, right? So that everybody can be included in public schools in a way that is fair and just for them. I want to get to know you a little bit, Ellen, but just while we're talking about people for public education, is that an organization that is specific to Manitoba, or are there other organizations across Canada that would be quite similar? 
there are lots of different organizations across Canada that have kind of just emerged grassroots style um, in different provinces that have similar mandates. Ours, uh, I think, emerged just about a year ago, um, just in response to some of the education reform measures that have been discussed um, over the past couple of years. So um, ours is a fairly new organization, but organization that I'm really happy to be a part of. Yeah, no, sounds great. And and, and obviously the reason that you're on this podcast is to talk about the issue that is happening uh, around the banning of certain books in schools. But before we get to that, Ellen, tell me a little bit about how do you get passionate about education? What's your background? Where do you, are you a, a Brandonite, a Manitoban? How did you kind of wind yourself into being so passionate about public education? I am a teacher and I don't know. I, when I was in school, I just had some teachers that were really did just an amazing job of supporting different friends I had who were going through different things. And it was just really amazing to see the difference they could make in students' lives and the way that they made school a safe place for their students. And I just decided that's something that I wanted to do. So I got into teaching for that reason. And it's been something that I've been really, really passionate about. Recently finished my master's in education, focusing on curriculum studies, um, particularly for social studies, and just looking at how particularly Indigenous education, actually, which is maybe not related to the topic we're talking about today. But yeah, just I'm really uh, interested in just how can we make schools better? How can we make schools socially just places? How can we make sure that everybody can be included in a way that's culturally responsive and good for them? Uh, Ellen, did you grow up in and around the Brandon area? Nope. (laughs) I actually live in Winnipeg, but... Okay. Did you do your schooling in Winnipeg then? That's right. And so high schooling and your your university? Yeah, yeah. I um, did my undergrad at UW and then my uh, my graduate studies at University of Manitoba. Ellen, just want to kind of get a sense for you. I mean, you're obviously passionate about diversity and, in, you know, inclusivity and ensuring that, you know, there's safe places for all students of all walks of life in schools. Did you see anything when you were, you mentioned some really good uh, experiences that you had. Some teachers had powerful uh, influences on you or, or friends of yours and you watched them grow. Did you see any other parts of you know this conversation that weren't so great that uh, also compelled you to say, look, I want to be a part of something that can make change there? That's telling somebody else's story and I don't know that I feel comfortable doing that in this. Fair enough. Yeah, sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. That's fine. Just wondered, you know, because I, I mean, you know, the whole topic of that, that I sort of focus on with my podcast is human rights. And quite often you I have conversations with people who have seen things happen in their lifetime, whether it's uh, racial discrimination or other elements of racism that have caused them to try to be proactive, to be more involved, to try to make change, to sort of see how they can make other people's lives behind them better. That makes sense. Yeah. So that fair comment. I mean, I, you know, just, we just wanted to get a sense, but I, I appreciate that. So Ellen, one of the things that you are involved in now is there is an issue around potential banning of some books in schools and libraries. Can you just talk a little bit about that? And then what, what I would love to get, and again, this is the perspective from you as a teacher is, you know, your perspective on why that's happening, but where does it start? Like what, how did you, these, how do these things start to happen in a process that it gets to a point where you're now having to be involved through people for public education and other ways to ensure that there are safe places 
for all students in school? Well, it's kind of interesting because over the past couple of years, you kind of see it's creeping closer and closer to our home here in Manitoba. But like, I think it started more in the United States, right? Where there was a lot of pushes, like, for instance, the don't say gay bill in Florida, right? That made it difficult for teachers to discuss LGBTQ plus identity with their students in the classroom um, that um, punished them for doing so, right? And that just seemed really, really far away last year, but it just keeps creeping closer, right? Where it's just moving north, further and further north until suddenly there are libraries in southern Manitoba where um, people are challenging some of the books due to, you know, there's characters in them that are to us LGBTQ plus, right? Um, and then suddenly in Brandon, a uh, similar thing, right? And a couple a uh, couple of weeks ago, we there was a presentation to the school board of somebody who wanted to set up a committee to investigate some of these books, right? And the books that she was talking about were largely books that had transgender people, transgender authors in them, as well as other books that are kind of, you would probably categorize as sexual education, right? Which is important for important things for students to know about. So her idea was that they should have a committee to ban some of these books or to look at them and just take some of them out of the school system. So it's something that's uh, creeping closer and closer and closer. And I think it's something that we need to be concerned about. And I think people are using their voices to speak out against that, right? Because I think lots of people realize just why it's so important to make sure these books stay in our school libraries and make sure kids have access to books that show off, show that show different identities. And is there a sense, Ellen, in this conversation that there's an age relation to some of the books that people may or may not have access to? Like, is there a sense that a grade one student could have the same access to a book that, say, a grade 12 student could have? I'm just trying to get a sense of, you know, what that ability or what that accessibility looks like. I listened to the presentation for the Brandon School Division, and there's a lot of focus on books in elementary school classrooms. Um, but and I think there's like also some discussion of like high school books, but they're definitely like different books that they're talking about. But the thing is, like, a lot of the books that are being discussed, like they are age appropriate, right? They are books that are appropriate for students. And they talk, the people who are complaining about them are talking about like different gender identities and how that's not an appropriate thing to discuss with kids who are in elementary school. And it absolutely is something that's appropriate to discuss with kids from elementary school. I think it's also important to note that like just because one family has an issue with a particular book doesn't necessarily mean that they have the right to withhold that book from all the other families that are in the classroom, right? Because that's not how schools work. And it's kind of a movement that's, again, started in the States and is moving up here. And it, I know in the previous um, school board elections that were happening here in Winnipeg, there was some discussion of parental rights, right? And how parents have rights and they have a right to, you know, know what their children are learning in the classroom and have a right to have a say in that. And yeah, of course they have a right to have that communication and to understand what's happening in the classrooms, but they don't necessarily have a right to veto things. Right. And that's actually something that's happened, you know, come up in the Supreme court of Canada cases, not necessarily looking specifically at books. Right. But looking at parents' rights in terms of education and they have a right to be involved and they have a right to understand what's happening, but they don't have a right to veto what's happening necessarily in that classroom, particularly for all the other families. So so I think that's kind of a lot of what's people are discussing right now and what's something that we have to kind of grapple with. Sure. Yeah. So Ellen, talk a little bit about, if you can, on the notion about, you know, from you you're a teacher, but so you're you're obviously very concerned about all of your students. When you talk about the term age appropriation, 
help, you know, just explain from your perspective, how do you sort of see that when it comes to some of this so-called, you know, these books that may or may not be perceived from a, a parent perspective to say that I don't think that that is that material is appropriate for my son or daughter, whoever it may be, uh, because of their age. It, can you just kind of walk me through kind of the age appropriation conversation? Well, I, I teach middle years, so I would really just focus on, for instance, if the issue is like focusing on gay characters in a book, if this was happening between two straight characters, would I be okay with that in the book? And then if the answer is yes, then yeah, that's age appropriate, right? I think that's more or less how I would categorize that. Yeah. And I, and again, I'm just saying there's, it, you know, one of the things about this conversation is that, that you know, you have a, a, such a variety of opinions that are emotionally driven. And sometimes, you know, the emotion makes it difficult to, you know, for people to, I mean, I, I saw, um, um, I think there was a, a picture in, in, that was, you know, in one of the newspapers that talked about open books, open minds, you know, so that you, you know, you want to make sure that you're in, you're allowing books to be there for all children to keep their minds open without sort of giving the sense that somehow the argument that, it may be driving students in a certain direction, which is, you know, maybe it's an argument, but it doesn't seem to be an argument that has, you know, much validity to it. It's much more of an emotional response. And I mean, there's academics who have studied this, right. And talked about just the importance of representation in books. Right. So like I, I Dr. Rudine, Rudine Sims Bishop, for instance, come, has come up with the idea of like, um, books being mirrors and books being windows, right? And how you need books that are both, right? You need books that uh, are mirrors for yourself that show you your own experiences so that you can better understand your own experiences so that you feel like your own identity is, you know, important. So you can see that expressed in literature. And you also need books that are windows, right? And to teach you about how other people live, right? Other people's identities, other people's struggles, other people's, you know, joys and victories, right? Like they need both types of books. And we live in an inclusive society where really we need to understand ourselves, but we also need to understand other people. So I think both are really, really essential. When I was at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, you know, one of the big conversations we were having was always about the other and understanding what the other is. And, you know, there was a conversation that people were saying, you know, why don't you take the other to lunch. And it was like, well, what is the other? Well, you know, I mean, it's as you just explained. I mean, it's somebody who may not think or look like you, but you know, they have every right to be in the same space as you do. I mean, we're all supposedly created equally. That's what the Universal Declaration of Human Rights says. So how do you sort of engage that versus saying, because there's something that may be different between us, that's bad versus saying, what a great opportunity to learn. So can you sort of give your, your, from a, you know, a teacher's perspective to people that may be listening to this podcast that's saying, you know, uh, as a parent, you know, I really want my child to just sort of see the world that I live in, whether it's from their religious standpoint or how they feel from their simple perspective, or I shouldn't say simple, but from their perspective, so that it, it, it really doesn't allow the child to explore a broader universe, which is what the world is. How would you have that conversation with a parent that said, you know, Ellen, I hear you, but I really am concerned that my child is going to be, have different experiences than I did or that I would like them to have? I don't know. I think I would talk to the parent. I think it's important that we understand that 
like you might want to instill your own sets of values, whatever those happen to be in your child. But if your child is unaware of just other people, um, you're, it's not, that's not a, that's, you're doing your, your child a disservice, right? Like they need to understand there are other people in the world and they need to learn how to get along with other people and just understanding other people's lives and other people's experiences is one important step to doing that. Yeah. And, and, you know, from, again, obviously wanting to put this in perspective, Ellen, from, from a teacher's perspective, when you, when you see a school board who are elected officials, um, when you see them taking an approach as is happening in Brandon to put an organization or put a group together that will start to decide what books should or shouldn't be allowed in classrooms, you know, how do you react to that as a teacher? I mean, you, your whole, your whole profession is education about, you know, your whole profession is to teach children. And, you know, I just wonder from your perspective, when somebody who I'm not trying to demean school boards, I think they have a great uh, role, but if a school board starts to come in to give you instruction as a teacher, how do you feel about that? Um, I think there needs to be some trust from the community that, for instance, like this is this issue that Infrabrandon is talking about school libraries, right? And librarians have training to select what is appropriate literature for students, right? And they have a significant amount of training in that, right? And just the idea that a parent who maybe doesn't have that background can come in and make those decisions is maybe questionable, I would say. I think it's really interesting, though, in the Brandon School Division case, because I was just looking at like they're having their um, meeting tonight, actually, right? So they're having responses from the community in response to this um, presentation that took place. And not too long ago, the government was actually like willing to just take away school boards, right, to eliminate school boards and to reorganize education. And there was a really big backlash against that, right? So they pulled back on that idea and they said, no, okay, well, we'll keep school boards. And right now, I think there was 289 letters that were sent on this issue to the Brandon School Board. Six of them were saying, yes, we need to have this committee that's going to look at which books to, you know, not have in classrooms. And I think the rest of them were saying, no, we don't like that. And giving lots of, you know, reasons, right? And it's just really heartening to see people taking that, using their voice, right? Because we are a democracy. It's important to listen to what the community has to say. And I think the community has really strongly rejected that idea. And um, I'll be interested in hearing what the school board's response is, but in a democratic system, right, those voices are important. And it's just um, really good to see people um, voicing their support of the LGBTQ plus community and being democratically active, right? Because that's something that maybe in the past we didn't see necessarily as much. And this is something that people are, you know, acting in a way that we really want to see in a democracy. Yeah. And I, you know, it's a fascination because to your point, when there's issues that are, you know, come up, whether they're community or what have you, typically the, the people that are opposed are quite vocal, quite loud and may not have the numbers, but it's just the the tone and the volume of which they they are able to sort of speak to. And, you know, for people to take a stand in in support of something, you know, I mean, life is full of people who are against this. They're opposed to that. They're against this. But when you start to look at something that you feel positively, you feel very strongly about, that you positively want to support and 
sometimes those people's voices don't always get heard or they just maybe don't take part. But the example that you gave is quite the opposite. The, the, the voices that are in strong support to not have these books removed seems to be quite, quite loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really am uh, happy to hear see that. I know something else that I was concerned about, like just seeing that, you know, really, really strong response against the idea of banning books is wonderful. Because one thing I'm concerned about is if you hear like these loud negative voices saying like this book is not appropriate, we shouldn't have this in school. And that those are the only voices you're hearing, even if necessarily the moves don't get made to actually ban those books within the classroom. There's a huge concern of like, well, is that going to result in soft? censorship right are teachers going to start like not choosing certain books because they're concerned about the reaction they get or they're concerned there's going to be some backlash or that type of thing and i think that does a huge disservice to students right especially for instance transgender students who really do need to see themselves in the curriculum right who need to see themselves in these stories right and need to see that their own existence is important and that they're supported right and i think soft censorship soft censorship in that way is a problem. And I'm really glad to see that there's so many strong voices saying that, no, we need to support, you know, this community. We need to speak out against book banning because I think that's such an important thing to hear as a teacher that, oh, actually the community does, is in support of what you're doing, right? Yeah, for sure. Ellen, how, um, how were the students reacting to this whole conversation? I don't know if I've had conversations with them specifically. Yeah, I don't know if I can answer that question, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just curious because they're, you know, they're the ones that are ultimately being impacted and it would just be interesting to see kind of, you know, I mean, there may be, I presume there would be diverse opinions also with students. It's just they're part of society and it's interesting to see and, you know, where that where that all goes. Is it your, your sense, um, Ellen, that, again, always want to make sure that we're preference, you're, you're speaking to me as a as a teacher and you talk about, some of these elements that have come from the United States south of the border. Do you think that that from your perspective, are you seeing it as a bit of a religious overtone or do you think it's completely something separate? I think historically it has had religious overtones. I can't speak specifically to the people who have like approached the Brandon School Division because I don't know exactly what their motivations are. I know that looking at the discourses that have emerged, like I know the Supreme Court of Canada, when you're looking at the competing rights of LGBTQ plus rights versus religion, um, very much like shown that, yes, you have the right to a religion, but your right to a religion doesn't it doesn't give you the right to, you know, squash somebody else's identity or doesn't give you a right to, you know, veto that in the classroom and that type of thing. Like that's pretty clear in terms of the legislation, uh, not legislation, in terms of like Supreme Court decisions. Right. So. So I, I don't know if now that seems to be, and this is me just like looking at, you know, articles coming out of the States. It seems to be that they're not necessarily talking religion as much as they're talking about just like kind of other weird ideas of what some of these books are doing that are just offensive and very much like not true. Um, and I don't really want to get into them because they're just. Yeah. And it, and, and, you know, the one observation that I would have Ellen of this whole discussion is that, I know we 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 make reference to sort of the um, the two spirited the LGBTQ plus community, but it seems that one of the focuses seems to be on sort of the whole transgendered movement, and you know that's you know I mean it's something that is very much alive and very much real, and yet it seems to have become a bit of a sort of a flashpoint for a lot of people. 
you know, from your perspective, again, as a teacher, you know, I mean, you look at some of these students and goodness, you know, it, it, to, to try to sort of come to terms with who you are and know that, you know, wh where do you turn to or where's there a safe space for you? You know, that's got to be from a teacher's perspective, a very emotional experience. Yeah, like uh, just looking again south of the border, right, because all that stuff tends to start to come up here. Some of the legislation that's come up in like Florida, for instance, right, that's saying that, you know, children who are transgender can be taken away from their parents, right, that they're not allowed to have gender affirming health care, right, um, just they're not allowed to participate in sports, right, and just so much discriminatory acts that I, I just don't understand. I can't imagine the people who are living down there who might be transgender, who have kids who are transgender, how they are handling that type of situation, because it just seems so dystopian to me that that could be happening. I'm really happy that in Canada, like we have human rights codes, right? Like gender identity is protected as is a protected identity here, right? So that's, so that I think here people will, you know, as evidence tonight, like people are using their voices in to support rather than targets, uh, which I am happy to see. And, and I mean, again, just, uh, this is just your perspective. You're not at the meeting, Ellen, uh, which I know, but I mean, you would have to assume when you look at a democratic process where people are allowed to speak in favor or against that if in this case, if the vast, vast majority of voices come out against uh, having a book ban, that the school trustees or the school board would hear that and basically say, okay, next item. I would hope. <laughs> yeah. That's so I guess we'll, you know, we'll get a sense and see where that, where that all goes. Um, so, so Ellen, I'd love to just explore a little bit about your, your, you know, your people for public education. You wrote a letter. Uh, it's very public, of course, uh, an open letter to the Brandon school division board of trustees. And when I say you, I mean, I know your name is kind of at the top there, but there's, I think, about 60 people that are were, were part of that. Did you Were you able to get parents also involved? I know there's a lot of academics, teachers, and that sort of thing. Were you able to get some, some parents involved in the process? Well, I mean, I'm a parent, so yeah. And I think there's like lots of other people I know who signed the, the letter also are parents. Um, I think it was primarily um, people who are part of people for public ed and like a good number of the people for public ed are also parents. Right. So, and then also we're affiliated, like some of our membership are part of the faculty of education at the university of Manitoba, as well as the university of Winnipeg. So they circulated the letter as well among the faculty um, just to get people to sign the letter as well, because I think we wanted to really show that this is something that has a lot of the our the our idea in the letter has a lot of support within the education community both at U of M and at U of W but yeah in terms of your question about parents like yeah there was a number of people who have signed the letter who are parents so for sure yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no and I because I mean part of that is you know people that want to look at signatories to a document who are supporting it I mean part of it is always to see is there you know, can you pick apart the names? Are they kind of the typical names or can you pick them apart? I mean, people that are always looking for the other side of the argument, you know, we'll look at that. And I, I was going to say that that one of the things that you'd mentioned was both the faculty of education at the University of Winnipeg, University of Manitoba, you know, there are members that are involved in that. The fact that this is sort of happening in Brandon, I'm going to ask you, but I want you to, if you can, 
because I think the University of Brandon came out with a very, and it was on Twitter, it was on everywhere, you know. So, so tell, tell, tell me a little bit about th- that. Talk, talk about how that came about. What did that mean, and what did it look like for those that didn't see it? Yeah. So that the letter, I, I just, it's been really interesting seeing the different responses that have been posted on social media, but just, yeah, um, from some faculty of education members at Brand, University of Brandon, it was just like in response to book banning and then just one word is don't. <laughs> and I, I, I loved it because I just was on social media just before hopping onto this, this, this interview. Um, and I just saw they were handing out like little don't pins at the board meeting. Right. So like, yeah. yeah, and it's just, it's this very simple ideas right just don't do that don't always yeah Yeah. always yeah for sure would you um would you say that you know when you when you look at what you do as a teacher you know when you got your degree to become a teacher now you're getting your master's degree did it ever occur to you that you might get involved in a conversation that would involve book banning in schools i don't know like I, i started my book blog just because i was it wasn't necessarily a concern about banning at that point, but it was just, it looked, I wanted to do something productive to try to promote um, literature that I think is good for students. And I know me, like I was trying to find different books by LGBTQ plus authors. And maybe it was a little bit challenging sometimes to find stuff that like is kind of hitting the the right spot for middle years, right? So something that's not too young and babyish and something that's not, you know, having kids off in high school who are preparing for college, right? Sometimes it's hard to find books that are a little bit in the middle. So I, I decided, well, I could, you know, if, I, if I'm having trouble with this, maybe other people are too. So I'll just start a blog, right? And I'll start like listing. And I focus on other things too, obviously, like other types of books, but just, yeah. And I've come up with a decently sized list at this point and focusing up and some of them are, you know, it's good because I'm from, Canada, right? And a lot of books in the publishing world kind of center around the States. So I get to also like pick out books that are maybe in a Canadian context um, that kind of speak to kids up here, which is nice. But yeah, I I never necessarily thought I'd be like, back when I started my blog, censorship was not really much on my radar. It was more just like, let's promote books and help people find them and get better access to them, that type of thing. I don't like the fact that censorship is now something that is on our radar and there's something that we need to worry about, but hopefully with, you know, a strong response against that, we can, you know, try to make sure that access to books remains something that's possible for all kids. Right. And again, I'll put this into the, the, the show notes, Ellen, but your, your blog is called teacher bees, B E E S teacher bees.ca. Right. Yeah. 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 Good. Okay. Well, well, make sure because I think, you know, people that are listening to this, if they want to uh, either follow you or go on to your blog and look at different books by different authors, if that's something that's important to them, I think that's a, that's a great service that you're providing. So, you know, it's worth, uh, it's worth mentioning. Yeah. I mean, I probably am not on it as much as I'd like to be, but I'm going to, yeah, life gets busy. (laughs) So, okay. So Ellen, let me just explore um, a couple of things with you. When you know, we obviously the, the the notion of reading and access to books and the importance of what that has to do with students learning. How how do you feel in today's world with the and you and I both reference social media? I saw the piece on the University of Brandon uh, putting on Twitter. I thought it was brilliant. You know, just that word "don't" and it's obviously become a thing now, which is great. But but you know. I'd love your thoughts about how you see the difference between getting immersed in reading books and social media. 
spend, I, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking the last two years, and this is a, just a completely different topic about media literacy and just making sure students have the tools to do that because like reading books is one type of literacy, but reading social media and reading online information, like you need a whole nother skill set, um, like related skill set, but also just like there's a whole nother set of skills that you really need in order to in order to engage in a critical way, right? Um, so I have spent quite a bit of time focusing on that with students and trying to teach them different skills to engage in social media in a way that if somebody, for instance, is telling you a bunch of false information about, you know, the books that we've been talking about, right? Like, to just give them some tools to be able to maybe better engage with that, right? To be able to do some lateral reading and check sources that are reliable and to ask critical questions and that type of thing. So I think that's important. And I think that's maybe a tool that lots of people like my age and older necessarily, we never grew up learning because the internet wasn't really the thing it is today, right? So I'm hoping that students these days, right, and younger people um, are gaining those skills in school so that they can better engage with what they're seeing online. Because yeah, literacy in terms of reading books is important, but like, yeah, there's just a whole nother world of skills that we need in order to be active critical citizens in the world now right yeah uh very much so and i mean the you know we we you know the, this this podcast is not going to get into sort of the whole you know chat gtb you know artificial intelligence all of those sorts of things i mean that's a whole other world that's out there and uh and you know but it's real you know and so while well, it's real in the sense that it exists i mean but my point is is that you know to try to you know, from a media literacy standpoint to ensure that, you know, some people might look at it and say, well, I don't, I'm, I'm reading all these blogs online or I'm reading all this stuff online or I'm getting all this information online versus an, you know, old school hardcover book. Why are you, you know, wh why are you upset about that? And it was interesting looking at just, yeah, the list of um, just different things, people like the letters that people sent to the Brandon School Division, right? And they actually broke down of just like, people actually they they broke down into categories what different people said in terms of like support saying no we don't want this censorship and one like big section in that list was just like addressing the disinformation and misinformation that was in the original presentation to the school board and they just like you know a big giant list of this is wrong and then here's what someone's saying about that and this was wrong and here's what someone's saying about that and it's just like a huge amount of fact checking going on there which is really interesting to see and yeah people just need to have a better understanding of how to do that in real time, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's important to, yeah, consider, critically consider what we're reading online for sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, as you say, I, you know, I mean, sometimes if somebody is very brassy, very loud, very articulate, but their information is false, it sometimes can carry the day. You know, people, I mean, they're just listening to it and go, oh, well, okay, well, I guess. And then, you know, as you say, to, for people to come back and do a fact check and sort of say, can we just, take that conversation and sort of unpack it and talk about where the myths are or where the mistruths are about this conversation. That's important. I mean, at the end of the day, make up your own mind, but basically make up your mind, hopefully on what is factual. So, so just switching for a second, you're, you're a parent, you've got children. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, do you have this conversation or has it ever entered into anything about, you know, your, concern about what they may be looking at online or from a literacy and media literacy standpoint through the internet? My kids are still pretty little. Like my um, son's in grade two, my daughter's starting kindergarten next year. 
but it's something that I'm definitely like considering and starting to have conversations, particularly with my oldest kid, just in terms of like, well, this is how we Google something. And then we need to like, oh, look at the different things you have. And does this sound like a good source? Like, what is it? Right. And just try to start with like the very most basic things that I think people need to know. Cause yeah. And I, it's something that, if, you know, unless you're actually actively teaching some of those skills, they don't always pick it up. Right. Like, it's interesting because yeah, I still have kids who say, "Oh, what's your?" I want to ask, "What's your source for that?" And they're like, "Google." And I'm like, "Google's not a source." You need to like, you know, check out like what's Google sending you to, and what is that as the source, right? So there's lots of like very specific skills that yeah, we need to make sure we're effectively teaching to kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you 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 know you've got um you're, you've got a double uh, gold star because not only are you a parent but you're a teacher. So, you know, because a lot of times I can tell you both, uh, you know, my wife and I would say something to our children and, you know, they would look at us and then they'd come back and they would sort of, after a day of school, they would sort of give different, you know, sort of sense of what's happening. And we go, okay, why, why do you uh, believe that? Well, that's what the teacher said. It was like, okay, all right. So, you know, uh, you got, you got both those things going, Ellen, both being a parent and a teacher. Um, Ellen, tell me a little bit just before we, uh, before we kind of hit the off ramp on this conversation. Um, you know, I, my whole blog is all about human rights and the importance of understanding um, what rights humans have when it comes to a, lump, a number of issues. And of course, they're all listed in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But when you look at this issue about learning, um, you know, from your perspective, from a human rights perspective, coming from a teacher to those that would be listening, how would you phrase the importance of human rights learning as you're looking down the conversation of a potential censorship? I think we live in a society where we need to be respectful of each other, right? And it is a human right that all all kids just need have the right to a education. Be safe in this, have a right to safety, right? Have a right to feel safe and included in their school where they are. Studies have shown that's not always the case, right? Like I think in the letter I wrote, we referenced a study that showed that like a certain, there's a large number of transgender students have like spaces in their school that just are not safe for them, right? And when you are trying to censor books and you're trying to actively take out voices, right? And take, remove identities from your library, right? You are, it's basically a move to try to erase specific groups of people, right? Groups who in the past been very marginalized. And you're not fulfilling the right to education at that point, right? Because students need to feel safe. They need to feel included in order to get that sick education. And when you are, when people are actively, you know, working to erase a particular group, then that's interfering with their right to an education. So I think that's what I would say to that, right? Yeah, no, well said. Appreciate that very much. And you, you had offered a couple of books. Uh, one is called Making the Case. And yeah, uh, yeah to just tell us what, what's that about? This is me being like an education nerd. So um, if you, yeah, for people who might want to know more about just LGBTQ plus rights in school, um, it kind of talks a little bit about censorship. It's talking a lot about other, other ways that like the right to religion and right to, um, to us LGBTQ plus identity kind of sometimes come into conflict in schools. Um, and I've read, I've referenced it a couple of times throughout this podcast, but it's a really great book. It's by Don Short, Bruce McDougall and Paul T. Clark. Um, and it just, yeah, talks a lot about just what the courts say about this issue, right. And how, you know, the right to an identity is really protected in school. 
I might also add, am I safe here? By, also by Don Shorts, and it talks a lot about LGBTQ, LGBTQ teens and bullying in schools, which is another issue where if, you know, we start, if students are targeted by censorship, well, what's that going to say in terms of like bullying, right? How's that going to also impact students in schools? And I think it's something that we need to be concerned about for sure. Yeah. And then you you referenced it uh, again during the conversation, Mirrors, Windows and Sliding Glass Doors is another book I think that uh, that you would suggest is worth uh, exploring. Yeah, it's, it's it's an article, um, but I think it's just really central to just why we need representation in our libraries, in our classes, um, in our lessons, right? I think it's something that every single English teacher should be aware of. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And and Ellen, if if a student, you know, as a teacher, if a student comes forward to you and wants to, I mean, I don't know if they would or if there's other processes to say, you know, I'm struggling with the issue, I, I'm I'm considering you know, my whole transgender identity or where do I want to go? Do teachers, are you, are you in a position to, to counsel or do you, can you direct, or is there a toolkit or, I mean, it, it seems like it's a, again, something that you might have your master's in education, but I'm not sure that that issue would be covered. I don't know. That's not come up with me specifically before. So I'm not sure I can talk to that specifically. Yeah. 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 No, I just wondered, you know, the, the, the process, because I do think that when you talk a lot about creating safe spaces for all the students, you know, there's there's roles and responsibilities, obviously, that goes with that, obviously, within the school, parents, etc. So, but uh, we're interested to see how this unfolds, uh, Ellen, you know, as a conversation moving forward. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and and giving the perspective of a teacher from your perspective of some of the challenges around this notion of censorship of books in schools. And I've, I've learned something in this conversation. And so I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Oh, good. Okay. Well, thanks for having the chat. It was great talking with you. All right. Okay. Continued success in what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Alan. Thanks for listening to Humans on Rights. A transcript of this episode is available by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. Humans on Rights is recorded and hosted by Stuart Murray. Social media marketing by Buffy Davey. Music by Doug Edmond. For more, go to humanrightshub.ca. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.